Counting by Sevens by Holly Goldberg Sloan. As you listen to today's Read Aloud podcast, please think about what role you have in our discussion for Friday. If you need to have a notebook or sketchbook nearby to write or draw notes to help you remember questions you might have or vocabulary words you're describing or a summary of the text that you're looking to provide, please go gather those now. Chapter 5, Del Duke. Ignoramus shoots at the wrong thing and hits it. Del Duke could not believe that he had ended up in this sprawling agricultural community. He had daydreamed bigger than this. Delwood was his mother's last name, and he'd been saddled with it as a first name, set birth. But thankfully, no one had ever called him Delwood. He was Del from the start. While Del hated his first name, he took some measure of pride in Duke. Only a few relatives knew that two generations before, the name had been Dufinacus, but his Greek ancestor George, as far as Del was concerned, had done the right thing. Del hinted to anyone who would listen that his family had something to do with starting a university, and they had at one point worn a crown. Early on, Del Duke had wanted to be a doctor because he liked TV shows with heroic people who saved lives every week while showing off perfect teeth and great haircuts. Plus, Dr. Del Duke sounded good. It had three Ds, which sounded better than two. And so Del studied biology in college, which didn't go well because he couldn't store facts. They shifted and then moved and quickly evaporated from his conscious mind. And if they were buried somewhere in his unconscious, he had no access to that area of thought. So by his second semester, he'd changed his major for the fourth time, moving from the hard sciences to the soft sciences. Dell finally graduated on the six-and-a-half-year plan with a degree in psychology. From there, after a lot of searching, he got a job at an assisted living center where he was the activities director. Dell was let go after only three months. The elderly didn't like him. He lacked true compassion, and he had no stomach for their health problems. On more than one occasion, he was seen running from the activities room in a full-blown panic. Dell was too afraid to work with prison inmates, and so he set his sights on the public school system. Dell went to night classes, and after three more years, got a certification for adolescent counseling, and that put him on the path to work in education. But no one was hiring. Dell sent out literally hundreds of resumes, and after three years working as a barback, carrying tubs of used glasses to the surly dishwashers, he finally added some bogus counseling work experience to his resume and got a bite. Bakersfield. On paper, it looked incredible. The map showed that he would be in Southern California. He imagined a life of surfboards with groups of tanned people eating medium spiced corn chips on his seaside balcony. But the Central Valley had entire months where the temperature hit 100 degrees every single day. It was flat and dry and landlocked. Bakersfield was no Malibu. It wasn't even Fresno. 
Dell accepted the position, packed up his barely drivable Ford, and headed south. He didn't have a going-away party when he left Walla Walla, Washington, because no one cared that he was leaving. As a counselor for the Bakersfield City School District, Dell's job was to handle the difficult cases. And by that, the district meant the middle school students who got into trouble almost exclusively for behavioral issues. These were the kids who caused enough trouble to be dealt with off-site. A typical day for Dell consisted of reviewing dozens of emails filed weekly from principals. Some of the students were reported because they had turned physically violent. They were kids who targeted other kids. This meant an automatic suspension if the incident was on school grounds. Other cases involved truancy. It struck Dell as ironic that there were kids who didn't go to school and they would be punished for not attending, with the threat of being kicked out altogether. In addition to the violent students and the no-shows, there were the kids who stole things or did inappropriate things, but these cases never made it into C. Dell. The system took care of the young criminals on its own. Dell resented that he didn't get FaceTime with the real bullies. They had a lot of personality and could be quite entertaining. It was the rest of them that he was left to counsel. There were three educational therapists who handled all the cases. Dell was the fresh hire after Dickie Winkleman, who had served 42 years, retired. Dell never met Dickie Winkleman, but from what he heard, the guy was a broken man when he finally walked out the door. As the new guy on the block, Dell was given the kids who the other two counselors didn't want. The way Dell saw it, he got the losers of the losers. But Dell was okay with that because it wasn't like the students he saw would run and tell someone what a crummy job he was doing. They'd already turned against the system before they arrived. Score! Dell was now in his mid-thirties, and while he wasn't insightful or even thoughtful, he knew that this counseling job in Bakersfield would make or break him. But Dell always had an issue with organization. He couldn't throw things away because he had trouble figuring out what had value and what didn't. Plus, he liked the comfort of possessions. If he couldn't belong to something, or at least something belonged to him, Looking through Dickie Winkleman's old files before the whole system had gone electronic, Dell found that Dickie had put kids in categories. It seemed like the counselor had organized the students in terms of three things, activity level, patience, and ability to pay attention. Counselor Winkleman had elaborate notes and wrote up painstakingly detailed reports where he had made an effort to quantify his students' abilities and deficiencies. Dell was impressed and horrified. There was no way he was going to try to imitate what Winkleman had done. It looked like way too much work. Dell would have to come up with his own way of sorting through the wet weeds of messed up students. It only took him three months on the job to get the Dell Duke counseling system in shape. He placed all the kids he saw into four groups of the strange. First, there were the misfits. 
then the oddballs, next were the lone wolves, and finally the weirdos. Of course, Dahl wasn't supposed to give the kids any kind of classification, but what good is an organizing system without methods of separation? Labels were important, and they were very effective. It was just too crazy to think of these kids on an individual basis. The way the Dell Duke counseling system broke it down, the misfits were the kooky kids who just couldn't help but dress different and act like fish out of water. The misfits had no power dynamics, and some of them may have been dropped as babies. The misfits, in all likelihood, were trying to fit in, but just couldn't. His next group, the oddballs, were different from the misfits because the oddballs were more original and usually somehow ahead of the curve. They liked being odd. The oddballs contained the artists and musicians. They had a tendency to be show-offs and eat spicy food. They were usually late, often wore the color orange, weren't good with finances. Then there were the lone wolves. This group had the mavericks. They thought of themselves as protesters or rebels. The lone wolf was often an angry wolf, whereas a misfit was often calm and contented, and the oddballs were just out to lunch where they made their own sandwiches. Finally, in Dell's classification of the strange, there were the weirdos. The weirdos included the zombies, those kids who stared straight ahead and gave back nothing no matter how hard someone tried to pry emotion out of them. The weirdos could be counted on to chew bits of their own stringy hair and fixate non-blinking on a dirt spot on the carpet while a fire blazed right behind them. Weirdos were fingernail biters and liked to scratch themselves. They had secrets. The bottom line was that the weirdos were just plain weird because of their unpredictability, and in Dell's opinion, they could be dangerous. It was always best to simply let a weirdo be. Game, set, match. Because Dell's files could end up in the hands of people in higher places than his windowless room in one half of the converted trailer on the property of the school district administration offices, he had made a code for his unique system, which he thought of as FGS, which stood for the Four Groups of the Strange. FGS broke down to 1. Misfits, 2. Oddballs, 3. Lone Wolves, Four weirdos. He also, after much thought, color-coded his unique system. Misfits were yellow. Oddballs were purple. Lone wolves were green. Weirdos were red. Dell then changed the font color on his personal files in his computer to correspond with his categorization. This allowed him at a glance to know what he was dealing with. The name Eddie Von Snodgrass appeared on screen, and before the jumpy kid in the oversized jacket had even slid into his seat, Dell knew that he could secretly surf his computer for 42 minutes and nod his head every once in a while. Lone wolves didn't need much feedback because they liked to rant and rave. So, while Eddie V. went off on the chemical taste of soda in plastic bottles, Dell checked on a website that sold bobblehead baseball player dolls at very affordable prices. And Dell didn't even like sports memorabilia. But the Duke counseling system was up and working, even if Dell was not. Because once a kid had been evaluated, Dell could complete the district's form in a flash, giving everyone in the specific category the same rating. Months passed. 
Dell kept the kids moving in and out. The trains full of the strange ran on time. And then, on the afternoon that Willow Chance came to see him, all of his categorization ground to a halt, like a fork thrown into the gears of outdated machinery. Chapter 6 I sat in the airless office trailer and stared at Mr. Del Duke. His head was very round. Most human heads are not very round. Very, very few, in fact, have any real spherical quality. But this chubby bearded man with bushy eyebrows and sneaky eyes was the exception. He had thick curly hair and ruddy skin, and it looked to me as if he was at least of partial Mediterranean origin. I was very interested in the diet of these countries. The combination of olive oil, hearty vegetables, and cheese that comes from goat's milk mixed with decent servings of fish and meat had been shown in numerous studies to promote longevity. But Mr. Del Duke did not look so healthy. In my opinion, he wasn't getting enough exercise. I saw that he had a substantial belly under his loose-fitting shirt, and weight carried around the middle is more deleterious than extra pounds in the butt. Yet, culturally speaking, today men with big butts are considered less desirable than a man with a pot belly, which is no doubt wrong from an evolutionary point of view. I would have liked to take his blood pressure. He started by saying that he didn't want to discuss my test scores, but that's all he talked about. For a long time, I didn't say a single word, and that made him talk more about a lot of nothing. It was hot in his stuffy little office, and as I stared at him, I could see he was sweating up a storm. Even his beard was starting to look wet. He was getting more and more agitated. As he spoke, small dots of saliva lodged in the corners of his mouth. They were foamy and white. Mr. Del Duke had a large jar of jelly beans on his desk. He didn't offer me any. I don't eat candy, but I was fairly certain he did. I guess that he had the jelly beans to make it look like he was offering kids a treat, but in actuality, he never did and went on his own jelly bean eating binges. I considered calculating how many were in the glass container. The volume of one jelly bean equals h pi times the diameter divided by 2 to the second power, which is 2 centimeters times 3 times 1.5 centimeters divided by 2 to the second power, which is 27 or over 8 cubic centimeters. But jelly beans aren't perfectly cylindrical. They are irregular, so this formula was not accurate. It would have been more fun for me to try to count them by sevens. I hadn't told my parents about meeting Principal Psoriasis from Sequoia, or that I would have to see some kind of school parole officer named Del Duke. Not sure why. It had been their idea to move schools, and I wanted them to think things were going well, or as well as possible. So I was now officially duplicitous. It didn't feel good. The middle school years were supposed to be, according to the literature, about an emotional separation from parents. I figured lying was lying a good was laying a good groundwork for that, but it was as if I'd eaten something that was giving me indigestion, and that burning sensation extended beyond my stomach and moved upward where it lodged in my neck, right where I swallowed. 
My parents didn't know any of my test-taking drama at Sequoia because I destroyed the evidence. I erased the message from the school that was on our home phone voicemail. My parents always forgot to check it, so that wasn't a big deal. But what was more deceitful is that I hacked into my mom's email and answered the principal's note about going to see a district counselor. So I would just have to put up with this stomach queasiness because I deserved it. The round head counselor slash warden finally stopped talking. He was worn out. He folded his short arms defensively over his ball of a belly, and then after more sweaty silence on both of our parts, he had an actual idea. I'm going to say a word, then you say the first word that comes into your head. I'm not saying the word as a question, it's something else. Let's try to do this very quickly. He sucked in a lot of air and added, Think of it as a game. Del Duke didn't know that my experience in this arena was very limited but I have found myself to be shockingly competitive. For the first time since I stepped into the room, I felt mild enthusiasm. He wanted to play a word game. I was certain that I could beat him in chess in fewer than six moves, but I have only played against a computer and not often because chess is one of those things that can become obsessive. I know. I once played for 20 hours straight and experienced signs of mild psychosis. Mr. Del Duke leaned forward in his chair and dramatically said, Chocolate. I was interested in the benefits of chocolate, and I said, Antioxidant. He then tapped his foot like he was accelerating in a car and said, Piano. I said, Concerto. The day before, I had heard a kid at school shout to a group of boys in the hall, Game on! I wanted to shout that now, but it didn't feel appropriate Mr. Del Duke tried to write down what he and I said, but he was struggling. Fortunately, he gave up and decided to just play the game. He said, space. I said, time. He said, dark. I said, matter. He said, big. I said, bang. He said, car. I said, tography. He said, mouse. I said, wireless. He said, white. I said, corpuscle. He said, single. I said, source. He said, seed. I said, embryo. He said, pie. I said, 3.14159265358979324624338327. But I said the numbers very, very, very fast. And I stopped on the second seven because, of course, that was my favorite number. Mr. Del Duke then loudly shouted, You animal! It scared me! I didn't like loud things. I was silent for a long time, but then I finally managed to find my voice. I said, lemur? And then his eyes grew sort of dazed for an instant, and he murmured, female lemurs are in charge of the troop. This was an accurate statement. If there's a conflict in the group, the female lemurs are the ones who fight it out. Because of this, the female leader gets the best food in the preferred sleeping area. I now looked at him hard. Not everyone knows that a lemur is a primate found on, only on the island of Madagascar. It was possible he was not the toadstool that he appeared to be. He then ran both of his hands through his curly mop of hair, and that made it double in size. That has happened to my hair before, so I understood. I left the meeting confused. I knew that he knew that I was different. Mr. Del Duke wasn't friendly material because he was the wrong age, and... Female lemurs notwithstanding, we appeared to have absolutely nothing in common. But as I walked away from the district headquarters parking lot, I decided 
I would come back and see him again. Mr. Del Duke was testing me, but not in the way he thought. I believe he somehow needed me. I liked that feeling. That night at the dinner table, my mom and dad asked me how it was going at Sequoia. I said, the experience is evolving. My parents both smiled, but their eyes were still anxious. My mom's voice was tighter than usual as she said, Is there anyone special who you've enjoyed meeting? For the briefest moment, I questioned whether they knew about the aptitude test. I took a bite of my artichoke souffle and finished chewing before answering. I met someone who interests me. My parents perked up. This was big news for them. Mom tried not to appear too eager. Can you tell us more? I had to be careful here. If I didn't want a colossal stomachache, I had to use a version of the truth. This afternoon was my first encounter. Viewed as a clinical trial, I'm in phase zero, which is when microdosing takes place. I'll let you know how it develops. And then I asked to be excused from the table. And that concludes our reading of Counting by Sevens. Please make sure to take any notes that you need in order to participate in Friday's discussion, whether it be your vocabulary words, your questions, or a summary of everything we have read thus far. Mm -hmm.